I don't know why you're doing a sound effect. You don't have to respond. You I don't can know. Just... It sounds like you want me to respond. It, I do One, not. What I'm hearing from you is like, yes, you do definitely no. want me to make a no. sound effect. Nope. Okay. So I'll do one then. We're settled. <laughs> Here at Kim Knows Nothing, uh, I'm Stacy, and that's Kim over there. Yeah, good job. <laughs> and I tell her a true crime story. Mm-hmm. She knows nothing about true crime or life in general. I don't really understand how bridges are built. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't get it. I understand the land part. <laughs> I, I understand oh my the God. land part, but then once they get to the middle of the ocean, how are they building that thing? Yeah. Like those bridges to the Florida Keys. Those I don't are, understand those it. insane. I don't get it. Did you know that there's land under the ocean, Kim? Uh, yeah, but how, you, you how long just, are those sticks that are holding up the bridge? How long are those sticks? Well, you're going to put cement in water? Kim is a common... A common idiot. Common idiot. That was like a real thing. I, I really don't get him. <laughs> um, Kim also has her a degree, a master's, in fact, in engineering. She should know how bridges are built, but she I, doesn't. Just last year? Yeah. Built a bridge. Yeah. I'm never... I don't drive on it. <laughs> if you're going from San Diego to Coronado, fly. <laughs> I built that bridge. Uh, also, I don't know how old that bridge is. She's an idiot. Yeah. We do this podcast. We're cool. Yikes. <laughs> we have a lot of fans. Yeah. <laughs> we do. Yeah. Kim says she has a tagline for this podcast. That's how cool we are. Yeah. What's your tagline? Murds on the cast. Yeah. You know, my mom said the other day, she what? thought it was cute. She said, Aww. I think it's cute. Your mom would say that. Your she mom's was like, cute. I was like, Stacy doesn't like it. And she was like, yeah, it's cute though. Aww, that's, cute. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And breaking news. That's so worse. That's that's a sound effect I just pulled off of ABC.com. Oh, got it. <laughs> we have a special announcement, Kim. Yeah, very exciting. We are now we're sponsored by Wink. W-I-N-C, Wink. It's a wine shipment company. It's very cool. I'm actually a really big fan of theirs. So you go online trywink.com t-r-y that's how you spell try wink w-i-n-c dot com slash merds yeah m-u-r-d-s and uh, you get 20 bucks off your first shipment and it's a personalized wine shipment service trywink.com t-r-y-w-i-n-c dot com slash merds m-u-r-d-s for 20 bucks off your first shipment yes wine personalized service go we're very excited yeah all right. Well, Kim, are you ready to just jump right into this? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got my jumping shoes on, so oh, yeah. let's do it. All right. So this episode we're talking about is actually a double murder. Double murders. Yes. And it's Oh, pretty- why did I get excited about it? That's double murder. Yeah. Bummer. Yeah, it's a double bummer. <laughs> That still sounds like a kid saying yay. I don't I like know. that one. You know, and I don't know why I'm making sound effects at the top of the show. I mean, you do, you do, you do you. <laughs> I guess. But um, Okay, and so these murders are actually pretty gruesome. So oh, great. prepare yourself. Okay. I'm okay. nervous. 
So we're talking about the murders of two men named Robert Lees and Morley Engelson. Oh, man. In Hollywood, California. I've heard of that place. Yeah, you have. That is where all the celebrities go. They go there. They live there. They only live there. They don't live anywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. It's Hollywood only. And it's specifically Hollywood and Highland. Yes, that, that exact cross street is where you will find every celebrity All right, so these murders happened on the same day on June 13th, 2004. Oh, man. And Hollywood, as you know, Kim, Mm -hmm. has some nice areas and some not-so-nice areas. So if you're going to describe this neighborhood, um, you would say that there are areas, especially in the Hollywood Hills, where there are really nice mansions. They're a little bit secluded. There are a lot of celebrities that do live in Hollywood. They live in other neighborhoods, too. Um, it's like the richest of the rich and then the poorest of the poor. Exactly. Yeah. It really is street to street. So, at, you know, like on Hollywood Boulevard, you know, just south of there, you can have some of the more dangerous areas of Los Angeles. But then north of Hollywood Boulevard and up in the hills, you'll have mansions, you'll have celebrities. Um, and it can be a lot safer there. But meanwhile, a few blocks away, it can be quite dangerous. So it really depends. It really varies. You can't say Hollywood is a safe or is a not safe place. Yeah. It's it's very mixed. There are just so many people that live there and there's a lot going on. Um, so these murders happened um, right kind of at the foothills in Hollywood near Sunset and Fairfax. Okay. Um, as if our, not everybody knows exactly where that is, but Kim, she knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? No. You would consider that, that's like... <laughs> Where this happened on this street was a pretty nice street. You would you would feel safe living there. Okay. Right. Um, okay, so let's start by talking about our victims. Our first victim was named Robert Lees, as I said before. He was 91 years old. Wow. At the time of his murder in 2004. That sucks. Yeah. And after you hear what he had been through in his life, um, it'll be... It, he just had a really amazing long life. Um he was born July 11th, 1912 in San Francisco, and uh, he was born just as- after the Titanic sank. Uh, that's Three right. months. Right. April 14th, 1912. avoided that tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By being on a different continent and uh, born a few months afterwards. Right. <laughs> Narrowly. He, that could have been him. <laughs> Good historical reference that actually has no connection whatsoever. I've just seen the movie a lot. I think a lot of other things happened in 1912 that you're not aware of. Yeah, that's probably correct. (laughs) (laughs) Titanic took up a lot of my interest. Yeah, for sure. So he was born July 11th, 1912 in San Francisco as Robert Lezinski to parents Edward and Beatrice. His family shortened their last name to Lees. A lot of families did this during this era to Mm -hmm. avoid, you know, prejudice um, based on their heritage, which they were German. And in 1912, anti-German sentiment was kind of like building up before World War One started in 1917. So they went by Lees, even though their name was Leesinski. So as a child, Robert Lees, he enjoyed acting in school plays, and he wanted to pursue acting as a career, actually. Oh. And through a family connection to an MGM producer, Robert uh, began acting in bit parts in his early 20s. Oh, cool. Which is cool. It's kind of like your classic old school Hollywood story. Yeah, you know, the, I love the, it. The big studio system that was going on back then. If you got signed to a studio, you were set for like you 10 years. In. You made like 100 pictures with them, and it was like a whole thing. So um, Robert, he also wrote 
wrote scripts in his spare time, and it turned out that his talent was actually less in acting and more in screenwriting. Ooh. Yeah. So MGM was impressed with him, and he was asked to join their new junior writers department. Which, I love it. Which seems like a really cool... Yeah. Like, that that doesn't exist There's anymore. A part, listen, a very serious part of Hollywood really sucked then. The racism, the sexism, yeah. the illegal monopolies. Yes. But uh. it is always cool to hear stories about like, yeah, then I just became a writer for yeah. MGM. Yeah. Like I was just a, I was so. just a mailboy in the mailroom, and then I was an executive producer on <laughs> Cleopatra. Like, it's okay, like, so sweet and like old school that would never happen again. Right, yeah. it just doesn't work that way. No. So it was there in that uh, junior writers department that uh, Robert met a young New Yorker named Fred Ronaldo, and the two began collaborating on scripts. So they ended up writing a lot of movies together. That's awesome. Uh, they began with short scripts, and in 1935, their short script, How to Sleep, actually won the 1935 Academy Award for Best Short Subject. Oh, wow. So he and his writing partner are pretty successful by now um, as writers. Got that Oscar money. That's right. In 1940, uh, Robert and Fred's first feature-length screenplay, Street of Memories, was produced by 20th Century Fox. In 1941, both writers, they were signed by Universal Pictures, and they worked on five films that year. Pitch Perfect? Definitely Pitch Perfect. Cool. Yeah, that was made in, it's the original, 1941. I know, but the remake is so good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The most successful of those movies that they wrote was Abbott and Costello's first movie, Buck Privates. Cool. Seems weird. I don't know. You're aware of Abbott and Costello? Yes. Okay. Very cool. Who's on first? Uh, Who? That's right. You know what? I'll tell you. Who's on first is so, so funny. It's classic. When I was driving... You know, I went out to Texas for yeah. a month, and when I was driving home, mm-hmm. I listened to Who's On First. Oh, cool. Completely. Yeah. From start to finish, and just, yeah. like, was driving and listening good. to it. It is so funny. And it's, it's a lot longer than you think. It keeps going. It's really long. Yeah, it's really long, and, and it's, it's not, good. It's good. It's, like, a it lot of jokes up. are not made funnier by being longer. Right. This one does. It just builds it's so good. well. It's, it's so good. good, and it holds up. It's classic. Yeah. So, Robert and Fred. Um, Robert Robert went by Bob. I'm going to call him Bob, because that's okay. what people call them. So, um, Bob and Fred, they wrote seven more Abbott and uh, Costello films, including Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, which Ooh. was released in 1948. That was the most popular one. Yeah, I know that one. Yeah. So um, Bob, he uh, had actually joined the Communist Party in 1939, which you can imagine is going to be problematic for him. Yeah, it's not going to be good for him. Not going to be good for him in McCarthyism. So on April 10th, 1951, an actor named Sterling Hayden named um, Bob Lee's uh, to the House Committee on Un-American Activities Act. Which yeah. is which is a bummer, yeah. and so um, that immediately just that was it. He was done. His in career was done. Yeah. His career was over. Um, so Bob sold Black- his, it was the blacklist. The blacklist. Yes, yeah. he was blacklisted. Um, he sold his house and moved to Tucson, Arizona, and he became the maitre d at a hotel restaurant there. Damn. Which is like, geez, what a bummer. Um, in nineteen, 19- the whole idea of that, like the yeah american committee like americanism right so bob's career was over and in 1952 paramount pictures actually brought back a 10 year old bob lee's and fred ronaldo script a comedy um about paratroopers and they wanted dean martin and jerry lewis to star in it so okay you're going to resurrect this old script that's written by these um fred had also been blacklisted the script had been written by because they were friends he was also in the Communist Party. Oh, okay, gotcha. So um, both writers of this script, 
that they've now unearthed 10 years later um, were blacklisted in Hollywood. So when they actually, the studio made the film and it went to theaters, they tried to remove the writers' names from it. They tried to remove Bob and Fred's names, but the Screen Actors Guild stopped them. Nice. And so the names were kept on the film. The film was called Jumping Jacks, and it was released in 1952. Um, And Bob Lees later said, quote, all Paramount could do was take out a big ad in the trade papers explaining that, totally against their wishes, they were forced to allow our names to remain on the screenplay. So while I was playing Mater D in the dining room of the Hotel Westerner, Jumping Jacks was playing in a theater up the street, and so was an old Abbott and Costello film, both of them with our names in plain view. I think uh, the, I think the situation was a lot funnier than the pictures, which is like pretty cool. So a little vindication. I for like him. him. Yeah. I like him a lot. So yeah. he did end up returning to Los Angeles and continuing to write, but under a pseudonym, um, which we, we see a lot of that. Yeah, where, you absolutely. know, blacklisted Hollywood screenwriters um, would come back and write under a pseudonym. So he would be um, he would be J Selby or J E Selby. Either or. And um, he wrote episodes for shows such as Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Ooh. um, Flipper. uh, Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) in the 60s. um, Land of the Giants. Lassie. Rawhide. And an English series called Robin Hood. Nice. Um, So Robin Hood shot here in America? It was a British series. Okay, not the American. No, it was the English version. Okay. So, and then... um, before all of this, in 1939, he had uh, gotten married. He married a woman named Jean Abel, and they had two children together. But later, Jean had died of cancer in 1982. Mm. Um, but at the time of his death in 2004... I just, for some reason, had such a happy picture in my head when you said like that he married this woman and they yeah. had kids. Like, I just... I don't yeah. know why. I feel like that's just the sweetest. No, it's nice. I'm I mean, so happy for them. And they were together for at least 40 plus years. So that's that. nice. I'm, that's very sweet. Had two kids together. Um, and at the time of his death in 2004, he was still living in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about our next victim. His name was Morley Hal Engelson. His nickname was Buzz. Okay. Um, and he was, at the time of his death, he was a 69-year-old physician who was living. I li- knew it. He was living in Hollywood. What? Nickname like that? You got to be in your 60s or 70s. <laughs> you know what's funny? I call my brother Buzz. Oh, yeah, you do. But that's because of Buzz Lightyear, not because of Buzz Aldrin. Oh, okay. Or anything. I feel like Buzz, yeah, is an older... It's an older man's nickname. Your brother has kind of an old soul, though. He does. <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> um, so he was a retired physician. Dentist? Uh, no, he was an internist, and he oh, specialized... Internal stuff. Internist, yeah, and he, cool. speci- he specialized in sleep disorders. As you know from our last episode, um, I'm basically a doctor. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. Um, because of VR. So I know what yes. an internist is. For sure, you do. Internal stuff. Internals. Yeah. I'm basically Abby Lockhart. <laughs> I'm up to <laughs> season seven now, and Abby's there. Wow, you... I tell you, more Tierney. You move fast. God, she's great. So... <laughs> Um, uh, Morley, that was his, that's his first name again. Morley was born May 2nd, 1935 in Santa Monica, California. He was a graduate of Fairfax High School. Um, he also went on to go to UC Berkeley and then USC Medical School. He was a practicing physician in Beverly Hills and Los Angeles for 35 years before he retired. And Morley, he had been married twice. His first marriage to Dale 
lasted from 1969 to 1973. Morlandale, they spent a lot of time and a great deal of money actually investing in racehorses. Interesting. This was something that I found I out about that. him that I didn't see anywhere else. I found it in, on some obscure form about like horse racing. Huh. Um, and uh, they did pretty well at it, I guess. It was a horse named Mashkor that gave Mashkor? Mashkor. M-A-S-H-K-O-U-R. Horse names are so fucking weird. They're so weird. This name them after the first thing they see. I just bought a horse. I'm going to name it fucking picture frame. I just literally am looking at a picture frame. <laughs> so stupid. Um, but it was the horse named Mashkor that gave the Engelsons a piece of racing history in 1991 uh, when at the age of eight, this French horse, he won the San Juan Capistrano inv- uh, Invitational at Santa Anita Park. So that Ooh. was a big deal for them. I know cool. exactly where that is. I Not do too. Brag. Here's what I know about Santa Anita is it's next to a Dave and Buster's. <laughs> And my, oh yeah, it is. My my uh, brother in law loves Dave and Buster's, so we go there. He loves the um, Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> he loves the Kung Fu Panda game. You can win a thousand tickets. Yeah. Um. Anyway, this episode is brought to you by Wink and Dave and Buster's. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Morley and his wife uh, did have one son, John. Um, but they did divorce in 1973, and Morley he remarried in 1999 to a woman named Valerie wow. Valerie Apple. A-P-P-E-L, oh. Apple, yeah. I love that. Um, That's and, a long time in between. Yeah. Doesn't mean anything. No. And uh, she had two children of her own, Danny and Dina. So now Morley is a stepfather. He's got his biological son, and then he has uh, two stepchildren. That's called hashtag blended family. That's right. Yes. Also, um, as seen in the movie Blended, starring Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler, I really love it. Never seen it. It's so, very cute. So it was a Sunday afternoon on June 13th, 2004, when Morley Engelson was killed. He was at his home at 1601 North Stanley Avenue, which is near the intersection of Hollywood Boulevard and Fairfax Avenue, which we talked about before. Nice area. Yeah. He's got doctor money. Yes, nice area. But again, several blocks away from not so nice area. That's, yeah. that's the thing about the neighborhood of Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and he actually, at the time of his murder, he was on the phone with Southwest Airlines making a reservation for a trip to San Jose. And that's when someone entered his home through an unlocked door and attacked him. Literally, literally my nightmare. Yes. Sometimes I will, I, as soon as I get in my house, I lock my door. Yeah. Sometimes I'll get up in the mm-hmm. middle of the night and be mm-hmm. like, did I lock my door? Yeah. I'm going to lock my door. Mm-hmm. But it's locked. I right. don't care. Right. Yeah. yeah, this is this is a worse nightmare type scenario. Great. I'm glad we're doing this during the day. This one, this one might mess you up a little bit. Oh, great. Okay. So um, this is where it gets a little gruesome. Okay. It's already pretty gruesome. Someone came into the house. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. The Southwest agent on the phone heard, no. The agent heard, help me, help me, somebody help me. Oh, my gosh. Then the line went quiet. The phone was likely hung up. The operator called back, um, and then another voice answered the phone. <gasps> nope, nope, A nope, man's nope, voice. Nope. He said, everything is fine now, which no. is really terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely hard pass for me. Um, man, we talk a lot about secondary victims, Oh yeah, the Southwest. Talk about yeah, especially when, when you have the full story. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh man. So the Southwest employee immediately called the LAPD because this person making making the airline reservation 
they at this point, I'm assuming, already had um, Engelson's, uh, Morley Engelson's address and everything. Yeah. Yeah, really good move. <laughs> Shut off really fast. And the LAPD arrived at the scene not long after. That's great. That is, you know what we need a sound effect for is if you see something, say something. We do. Congratulating. Uh, great job, Southwest Airlines. Yes. Because the person that they called back, they knew. Yep. They got to call back. Yep. And then somebody said everything is fine now, which is creepy That's as really, shit. really creepy. But also somebody who just didn't care could have been like, no, they said everything was fine. Right. Exactly. So hats off to whoever the Southwest... That's why you should fly Southwest. This person is... American <laughs> Airlines wouldn't care about that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> From Hollywood, it's time for... Kim's Corner. And also, wow, what a great intro. Yeah. From Hollywood. Yes. That's right. Um, Yeah. It's time for Kim's Corner. Yes. Buckle up. Put your little seat belts on. All right. Get to it. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's already an intro. I don't need to elongate it. Um, my Kim's Corner this week is, normally it's a little jokey. Yeah. Normally it's very serious, like when I talked about soul patches. Yes, that was very serious. Very serious. You scared I me. I meant it. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, a little more serious this time, which is to go back to if you see something, say something. Uh, yeah, always. Um, just a hats off to the Southwest Airlines. And my Kim's Corner this week is, you're not too good for Southwest. Okay. <laughs> People want to give, oh, well, I'm a serious flyer, so I need to pick my seat. You know what I just did? I have a flight. I have multiple flights planned. You know how many times I've changed my seat? At least seven. There aren't even many seats left, but I've still managed to change my seat a million times. And they, this airline that I'm flying on, which I will not name, okay. is trying to tell me, oh, you bought a ticket? There are no seats. You cannot pick a seat $35 every seat. Hate that. They tell me, you got to pick a seat. It's 35 bucks. I just paid $700. You got to pay <laughs> $35 for a fucking seat? It's ridiculous. You know where this won't happen? Southwest. You are not too good for Southwest Airlines. Oh, no. I have money, so I need to pick a seat. That's where you're going to waste your money? Get on <laughs> fucking Southwest Airlines. <laughs> this is long. Fucking fly on Southwest. Mostly because when they hear something, they call LAPD. <laughs> if you hear something, say something, Southwest agent. Good Lord. <laughs> Look it. You're not too good for Southwest. Got it. Noted. This person is not those people that worked at the Apple store in our last episode. They are the exact, exact opposite. opposite. And so, hats off to that person. That's right. So um, the LAPD arrived not long after, and the officers found um, Morley Engelson dead in the house. His throat had been slit. Oh, Jesus. His body was mutilated, and he'd also been sexually assaulted, which is really, this is a very, Wait, very a horrific crime. Um, a man answered the phone. It's su- That's surprising. Yeah. Yeah. I so, am so bummed out about everything already. Great job. So a representative from the LAPD had said um, that, quote, the assailant, well, the assailant, quote, started to cut the doctor's head off, but he didn't finish, possibly because he heard police sirens and decided to run. Oh, fuck. Which is really, really gruesome. Uh-huh. And the killer then took um, the doctor's keys uh, to his 2001 Mercedes and left the scene in the car. So before the police had come. And he, he stole the car? He this stole the car. Real asshole. He stole the car. And he later abandoned that car just three and a half miles away at the corner of Wilshire and La Brea. Damn. And the story gets crazier. It's pretty 
It's very much crazy a bummer already. right now. Yes. So it's pretty crazy. So remember Robert Lee's, Bob Lee's, our 91-year-old blacklisted screenwriter? Yeah. When police searched the rest of Dr. Morley Engelson's home, they found the head of Robert Lee's in his bed. <laughs> Hold on to that whole sentence again because I have to better understand it. When the police searched the rest of Dr. Engelson's home, they found the head of Robert Lee's in his bed. I don't know. I... <sighs> I don't even know what to say. And I know that we have the sound effects board. That's the point of the board is when I can't say anything. I don't know. I guess. I don't know how to, I don't know how to respond to that. That's the fucking craziest thing. It's insane, right? Oh, geez. Okay. Okay, so. Am I about to be super mad that I was like. That this guy's flying Southwest Airlines. I can't tell you anything. Because cream of the crop should be on Southwest Airlines. You got you got to just roll with it. <laughs> what okay, what go. can you make of this so far? I mean, what are you thinking? Here's what I think. Yeah. How'd the head get there? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Okay, so authorities were shocked to find this, of course. Um, and not long after, they would actually get a call that would put the pieces together. So the LA Fire Department had been called to a nearby home where a headless body had been found. And it was the home of Bob Lee's at 1600 Courtney Avenue, which was the house directly behind Dr. Engelson's house. So their home was separated. Their backyards were basically back to back. Their home okay. was separated by like a like a fence. Ooh, you know what they say about fences? What? Good fences uh, are expensive. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> good fences make good neighbors. Okay. I think you're about to prove me wrong. I think you're about to explain to me that their fence was bad. <laughs> you're an idiot. Um, it's called Kim Knows Nothing, not Kim Knows a ton of stuff. That's right. <laughs> so at around 4 p.m. that same day, Bob's body had been found in his bed, headless, covered with blankets and a large dresser drawer. And he was found by his girlfriend of 25 years, Helen Colton. Hold on. He was covered yeah. By was, a dresser drawer? He was covered by a comforter uh-huh. and a large dresser drawer. It seems like that is not inconspicuous. Someone, yeah, I mean. Someone was like, I'm going to hide you with this blanket. Right. Not not great. You're going to get caught. Right. But then to be like, not good enough. Dresser Here's drawer. a whole dresser drawer. Now no one will suspect anything. It's inexplicable. And a lot of details about this whole thing really just make no sense. And okay. they're bizarre. Well, so far, the dresser drawer thing is really fucking weird. It's really weird. So his body had been discovered by his girlfriend of 25 years, Helen Colton. And she had arrived to pick him up for an event at the Beverly Hills Academy. So the Academy of Motion Pictures and Sciences, you know, the Academy Awards, whatever. Uh-huh. They were going to go to an event and okay. she was picking him up. Um, and found they do him. a lot of events. They do, yes. It wasn't the Academy Awards. It was it was something for young writers, and it was just one of their many events. Helen obviously was in total shock. Later, she said, "Quote: I couldn't believe it. It was like a movie, not real life. I mean, this woman was just utterly I traumatized. Can't even, yeah. Um, the clock beside his bed had been pulled out and unplugged from the wall, and it was stuck at five thirteen a.m. So you knew right when this wow. this person had entered the home. That is literally like out of a movie. It is, yeah. If I read that, I'd be like, mm, "That's a little on the nose." Right. That's too freaky. Yeah. So um, Bob, he had woken up when the killer entered his room because he was asleep. It was five in the morning. Yeah. And he he fought back as hard as he could. He had defensive oh, wounds, um, but it obviously wasn't enough. 
The killer, using a heavy metal bookend from his own home, struck Bob in the head, and he was killed by this hit to the head. The assailant then used a meat cleaver from Robert's kitchen to cut off his head and gouge out his eyes. And he, too, like Dr. Engelson, had also been sexually assaulted. Now, some of the details aren't very clear. It's not information that's all been released to the public. So I'm piecing together everything that I could find from multiple different sources. But they were mutilated beyond even what I'm saying here. Um, Thankfully, the hit to the head is what killed him. Um, but even still, it's really an awful way to go. It's the sexual assault thing is interesting to me. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I yeah. Have, Kim knows nothing. Right. So I have no facts to back this up. Yes. So maybe you just don't hear about it. And maybe yes. it's the same. But you just don't hear a lot about men being mm-hmm. murdered and sexual assault, sexually assaulted. Yes. And later we're going to find out that it was, I believe it was objects that were used. Wow. Um, which is just really... It's just really heinous. Yeah, Um, that really is. So like I said, there are details about this crime that were really hard to find because it was so gruesome that, you know, like the LA Times isn't going to get into great detail about everything that happened. And rightfully so. Because it's something that the public doesn't actually really want to hear. They just want to know it was a gruesome crime. And you know what? They don't need to know. Yeah, it's not necessarily information for everyone to have. It's not pertinent. Um, But at that time in 2004, these murders were easily considered the most heinous in all of LA history. That tops Manson murders, that tops Black Dahlia because of what had happened. Yeah. Um, And I'll tell you, I don't know anything about those murders. Yeah, (laughs) I was going to say, I know you don't know about the Black Dahlia. I've heard of them. Yeah, but I don't n- really know them. The Manson Two murders. Crimes I don't know anything about. Yeah, the, the Manson if you're murders. It, I can only assume that's terrible. They were heinous. Yeah, the Black Dahlia was cut in half and drained of her blood, and her organs taken out, and her breasts cut off, and what? really bad. And this was because it was two murders where the bodies were mutilated and maimed and head cut off, and it was just so bad. It, it, oh. I mean, it topped anything that Hollywood had ever seen. It was really, really gruesome. Jesus. One representative from the LAPD said. There was mutilation of both victims' bodies, and the killer placed certain objects in some sort of ritualistic fashion around the bodies, but it wasn't religious or satanic. Weird. It was weird stuff. The criminal behavior experts didn't know what to make of it. Whoa. That's their whole deal. Right. It just was nonsensical. Wow. And like I said, without me... (laughs) This is where my mind goes. Honestly, I, I could go downtown and I could look at the coroner reports. In the city of Los Angeles, if you die in the city of Los Angeles, under any suspicious circumstances, the coroner doesn't inquest. Um, here's what Those I records say. are public. So here's I, what I want to say. Yeah. Anybody who wants to murder me. Yeah. I can only... I, somebody wants the water at me. Yes. So I can only assume that at least <laughs> one person wants to murder me. Uh-huh. Um, first of all, please don't. Right. Second of all, if you do... Yeah. Feel free to do it in L.A. Because actually, and actually, it's the county of L.A. I misspoke, not be, even the city. The county okay, of LA. do it in the county of L.A. Yes. So anywhere. I would prefer it to happen in Toluca Lake. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, it's just a classy place. Got it, got it. <laughs> um, and uh, d- do it there. Not because, Stacey, I don't want you to investigate it. I will. Let the police do their job. Well, yeah, after but they've I would, done their job, I'll go look at the records. That's what I want. Yes. Like yes. later on, yes. just to be like... Yes. I got nothing to do. It's Tuesday. Uh, I got the day off. Let me get in there. Let me see what we got going on. That's the thing about LA yeah. County is not all counties, not all states, not all cities have this information that's public. But in the county of Los Angeles, it is public. And you can go look at those records. The LA coroner mm-hmm. has a gift shop. 
They do. It's actually so they're actually known for they have they they kind of um have like a fun kitschy sort of vibe. It's like a place where tourists will go and they'll go to the coroner's office and look at the gift shop and they have like you can get like I don't know, like corner shirts and there's like really macabre stuff about that. Yeah. Is that there are other countries and societies where death is like, I don't know. We just, I think in America, we, we accept a lot of things oddly and maybe not as holy. Death is really hard to accept (laughs) and a murder is really fucking difficult. Yeah. Um, it's not like we as a society are like, no, this is a beautiful way to pass on. And now you're, you know, yeah. as, as a country, that's not what we do. <laughs> no. But the fact that the L.A. corner has a gift shop yeah. is not like, no, it's because America is so, uh, you know, we fully recognize like the beauty of life and the beauty of passing on. We're like, no, a fucking celebrities died here. So we need a gift shop shirt. Yeah, it must be. I don't <laughs> know. Sucks. I don't know what it is or why. But yeah, they definitely that's like on a list of like weird places to visit in L.A. That's like check out the corners gift shop. Yeah. That's, I've been there. You know I've been there. I know. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Um, but like I said, I could have gone downtown and I could have read these autopsies. And I just felt like, you know what? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, this one? This one, you know. It's, so, it's uh, not bad for as me. As much as I love researching, and I do, <laughs> and I've read myself many an autopsy report, um, I, <laughs> I felt like these ones might freak me out a little bit. I didn't want to do it. Also, when you go there and if you go and you so you request the records and then they bring you like downstairs to the basement and you sit at a table and And then they're like, this is how we get a new coroner's report. (laughs) It is really weird. Yeah. Anyways, um, so I did not go down to the coroner's office, but you know, I thought about doing it. I know you did. (laughs) Um, I don't mean to laugh at the gruesomeness. Oh, no, no, no. no. We're laughing at how weird Stacey is. Laughing at how I considered it, because when also when I do my research, I want all the facts there and something this gruesome this is the stuff of urban legends this is the kind of thing where some the crime was so gruesome and so heinous that means people can also make up details that aren't true so anyways needless to say no i did not okay good Go job to the coroner's office um, i'm proud of you and your restraint thank you so there are details that are that are not known to the public okay. um that you know my research could only go so far anyways um in uh, in Bob's neighborhood, it was a pretty close knit, pretty wealthy neighborhood. There, um, people talked about how he was like this really. He's ninety one, but he was like this really articulate and entertaining storyteller. Of course, he's an old school Hollywood writer. Um, I I'm so bummed out. Uh, every episode that you tell me a story, I'm like very bummed out about it. Yeah, but you reach a certain age and you've been through a lot. You don't fucking deserve to be murdered. No, you deserve to. Just live out your life. Yeah. And die. Yeah, I mean, you've s- already done that. Right. And just Do die what? in your sleep. Go yeah. of natural causes. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. how it should be. So in his neighborhood, a neighbor named Helen Klein, she said that she and her husband had been to his house and it was filled with Hollywood memorabilia. She said, quote, I think he was a model for a senior citizen. He's just intelligent and vibrant. She said he often drove his neighborhood, his car around the neighborhood and I his car, that. his car had a bumper sticker that said war is not the answer. Just, oh, you know, like I love sweet it. old, sweet old it. hippie man, you know. Um, another neighbor, Jeff Messino, said he's the guy you want for the next door neighbor. He would say, take the tools from my garage whenever you want. So just a very sweet old man. And it's, I love that a lot. So but with both crime scenes now discovered, authorities were able to piece together what had happened. So at around 5 a.m. that day, June 13th, 2004, mm-hmm. the killer had entered Bob Lee's home through the front door, which was unlocked. He killed him in his bed 
decapitated him and then covered him with blankets and the that dresser drawer. Jesus. He then took the head. Prepare yourself. Okay. Um, I feel like no matter what you say, I will not be prepared for how fucked up this is. He took the head and he used a belt and he put it through the mouth and then out the windpipe and then buckled it and carried it like a satchel, which is oh, so heinous. Oh my God. Um, and that's when he was carrying that with the belt and he jumps, he goes out into the yard, jumps the fence and goes to Dr. Morley Engelson's home through another unlocked door. Morley was on the phone at the time when he was attacked. Uh, he was attacked with a fire poker. And, and then a knife from his own kitchen. Um, and the killer mutilated his body, including severing his genitals and cutting him up and like putting him in the backyard. Oh my God. Really, like I'm saying, like truly the most gruesome Hollywood crime. Very bad. So, okay, so what's the connection here? Right? Like, who would do this and why do these two men? What are you thinking? Fence. <laughs> no, I honestly have no idea. I'll tell you at first what I thought yeah. was that Dr. Engelson had murdered the first guy. Right. Because his head was in his and bed. And then brought the head with him. Right. And then somebody retaliated. Somebody mm -hmm. in Bob's family retaliated and then killed him right i think that's wrong now <laughs> and uh, no that's pretty i mean that's pretty good i mean that's like trying to make some sense that's probably of it. Yeah, for possible sure. somewhere but, right uh, and I now what that's you, the case now now, now I, ha I literally have no idea no idea i'm very confused yes the fence comment now sounds silly as always as all your comments everything do. i say sounds stupid i hope that people just fast forward through me all right so kim um i think this puts us in a good position to have a quick ad break okay but honestly I'm on the edge of my seat and don't want it. I'll do it because I'm pumped about Wink. But let's uh, do it. I'm kind of like I want to hear. <laughs> so, Stacy, as you know, I'm a common idiot. Mm -hmm. But that's where Wink comes in. Yeah. So the deal with Wink, W-I-N-C, like wine, ink. Mm -hmm. That's how to think about it. It makes it really easy to discover great wine. So I like to drink wine, but I don't really know exactly what i like but the great thing about wink is that you go online to trywink.com slash murds m-u-r-d-s and uh you fill out a flavor profile and they'll ask you things like how do you take your coffee or how do you feel about blueberries stacy i'm very anti-blueberry but how do you take your coffee i take my coffee with a little bit of cream and sugar cool so we feel the exact opposite about both those things <laughs> i like blueberries i call them bloobs but so we each have different flavor profiles and wink will take those things into consideration and then they will send you the wine that is great for your flavor profile and the really cool thing about them is that if you don't like the wine they will send you a replacement bottle no questions asked yeah, it's a really cool company. I'm actually a really big fan of theirs. I'm very pumped about this. So if you go to trywink, W-I-N-C, trywink.com slash merds, uh, you'll get 20 bucks off your first shipment. So give it a shot. Love it. All right, and we're back. We were talking about how these really horrific murders could possibly be connected and what could be the motive for such a thing. They seem like two gentlemen. Two gentlemen, two elderly gentlemen whose mm -hmm. lives were ended, tragically. Um, it turns out the killer actually did a really bad job of covering up his tracks. Well, he, we knew he was a dum-dum yes. when he thought that a fucking drawer would be a way to, <laughs> yeah, to cover up the body. Yeah, to cover up the body. Right. 
He's a he's a fool. So at both crime scenes at both houses, he had left many sets of fingerprints as well as the keys to his Toyota pickup truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's that a dummy. Sound is he's the sound of somebody who's stupid. He's does something not like. smart. <laughs> He'd also left behind a used meth pipe in the house there as it well. Is. Yes, there it is. Um, and at his first victim, Bob Lee's house, he had spent several hours mutilating the body, which is horrific. Um, but then he cleaned himself up and drank a beer before he hopped the fence and went over to Dr. Morley Engelson's house. So he's he's leaving behind his fingerprints, his DNA. It's not going to be hard to find him. Um, so the LAPD... Good. Yes. The if LAPD, you're going to be a murderer, at least be stupid. Right. To get caught. Yes. Also, don't be a murderer. Also, don't do that. Yeah. So the LAPD, they were able to figure out who he was very quickly. It was 27-year-old Kevin Lee Graff. He's young. Yeah, so let's talk about him for a little second here. Kevin was born November 26, 1976 in Aragon, Oregon, mm. which is a small town. So growing up in this small town, um, no one would have expected him to have committed such a heinous crime. Um, a neighbor, Dan Huxel, who still lives in that small town in Oregon, he knew uh, Kevin growing up and he would later say, quote, he was one of the best kids growing up here. He was clean cut and stayed out of trouble. So not somebody that people would necessarily suspect of doing something like this. Kevin's parents had divorced um, and he was raised by his father. But from the outside, it wasn't really apparent to anyone that there was actually some trouble in the home. And we don't know many details about this. But later, a psychologist of Kevin's would say that it was maternal abandonment and paternal cruelty that led to his violent outburst. Um, so his mom had left and his dad probably wasn't the nicest dad. But, you know, I couldn't find any other real details on that. It's, um, really very minimal details. Okay. Kevin's half-brother, Jacob Graff, who was 21 at the time of these murders, he said Kevin had joined the Marines shortly after high school to get out of rural Oregon. He didn't want to stay in his hometown and work in the mill, which was what everybody did. Mm -hmm. He was stationed at Camp Pendleton. You know where that is. That's what up? I know Camp Pendleton. Yeah, so he spent time living in San Diego for a while. and He lived in Oceanside. Yes, that's right. Yeah. But he later moved on because he, um, he was actually released on a medical discharge for an injured ankle. Mm. But another source that I read, though, said that he actually lied to his superiors and told them that he was homosexual in order to get kicked out of the Marines. So whichever, wow. whichever story it is, I'm not sure which, he didn't enjoy being in the Marines or he was kicked out, or he just, he didn't last there, and it wasn't a good experience for him either way. So Kevin also, he had a learning disorder and was often made fun of for it growing up and even in his adult life. Um, and I, don't, I don't feel bad for him. Yes. I feel bad. Like, don't make fun of kids with learning disorders. Yes. Everyone's got something. Don't be an asshole. So Graf, Kevin Graf, he ended up living with various friends and acquaintances um, in his adult life. And his family lost track of him. And the summer, uh, the summer before the killings, um, his family reported him missing. They didn't know where he was or what was going on with him. Wow. He eventually was located by a, a patrol officer in Merced, California. And um, he gave no explanation as to where he had been. So he was off doing who knows what. He was just like, no, don't worry about it. Well, probably living um, on the streets or living with friends, maybe doing drugs, like just who knows. But it was mm -hmm. um, definitely not good. Um, Kevin was living with his half-brother, Jacob, who I mentioned before, in Fullerton, 
um, which is a town that's uh, a suburb of Los Angeles, in July of 2003, when he called 911 to complain that someone was threatening his girlfriend. So Kevin made this call, right? Officers mm-hmm. took him in for a psychiatric evaluation um, because nothing was going on. He called the police. It was some weird, like, phony call weird and he was really he was released after a few days after they did a psych evaluation on him so he's he's just acting bizarrely and and erratically Uh fullerton police said quote he was argumentative making unclear statements nervous and talking rapidly there were other people there with him saying he had been acting bizarrely but i guess i think their policy is that if they don't deem him a danger to himself or others even though he might be psychologically unstable um, they're, they're still going to release him. And he didn't seem dangerous, so they let him go, but they clearly he had some Seems like they issues. maybe read the moment wrong. I think so. <laughs> so he had been diagnosed as manic depressive, which um, is, it's like being bipolar. There's bipolar one, bipolar two. And about a year before the killings, he had a complete nervous breakdown, is what his family had said. I was going to say, it seems like he, because it kind of is right around the same age, and, mm-hmm. you know, seems he was a super calm and chill kid and then all of a sudden started talking erratically and having these who knows if he was just calling like a prank call the police or right. if he really thought that this thing was happening right it sounds like he was having a psychotic break he could have been yeah yeah so about six months before the killings the family actually got kevin admitted to the veterans affairs hospital in long beach but he was released after 10 days his half-brother said Quote, everyone in the family was trying to help him. We tried getting him institutionalized, but everyone was telling us the authorities wouldn't do anything about it unless he was a threat to himself or others. Again, just because you're suffering from manic depression or bipolar one, whatever it is, if you don't seem like you're going to hurt anybody, sounds like nobody cares. And it's it's, tricky. You're getting kicked out to the streets. It's super tricky because... It's a matter of, it's a combination of a lot of things. Oh, totally. It, it, having enough space for it. Yeah. Um, you can, feeling like, um, you know, if you're going through a manic episode, but you're truly not going to, you, you don't seem like you're going to harm yourself or others. Yeah. Then are, are, what are you supposed to lock up every single person? You know, it's, True. it's a real, it's just what it is, is it's not one specific person making a no. bad call. It's just a, a society and an institution that really right. just needs to be kind of re-reviewed. Well, and also I'm, I'm going to talk about this in, in a little bit, but um, just because somebody is bipolar, just because somebody does have a history of whatever doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to go decapitate somebody. 100%. I mean, that kind of a crime is so insanely rare that if you think you can predict that, you're yeah. wrong. So Com- it's very complex. It's very complex. Yeah. There's um, no, un- unfortunately, in a mm-hmm. situation like this, there's nobody to say, well, if they had been, you know, institutionalized or mm-hmm. a- anything, you can't really you can't say really that predict because it. you yeah. can't, yeah. So Kevin continued to just wander and he was all through Orange County um, and on April 17th, 2004, just two months before the murders, he was in Las Vegas, actually, and he was arrested on suspicion of lewd behavior after exposing himself to a woman. Oh. And he pleaded guilty to disorderly conduct for that. And at the time of the killings, Graf had been living on the streets for about three months and he was uh, continually using meth at that point. Wow. So his brother went on to say, um, quote, I think the Marines changed him. He was never the same after he got out. 
We tried to get him committed, but the mental health people, the police, no one would listen. So since Kevin's fingerprints were in the system, not only from his prior arrest, but his time as a Marine, the LAPD was able to um, do a press conference. And two days later, they released a photo of him. And it was all over the news. There's, um, I'll put it online, you'll see it. There's a photo of like, there's an LAPD officer, and he's standing next to this huge picture of Kevin Lee Graf. Mm -hmm. And it was all over the news because they wanted to find him. And it was actually within minutes that they got a call Whoa. and they found this guy, which is crazy. <laughs> um, Officers just like <laughs> taking a sip of water from yeah. being on TV and then they're like, like oh, we got a call. <laughs> yeah, so th- this this was two days after the incident. So at that time, like the whole neighborhood was in a panic. Like, oh my God, yeah. there's a killer on the loose. They'd blocked off the streets. There was this massive manhunt. Um, but I yeah. I believe it's called a person hunt. It was called a manhunt. I know, but it's kind of a bummer, I guess. Yeah. What about what about mankind? Is that wrong? What about her story? Okay. <laughs> so after the press conference was held, shortly thereafter, they get a phone call. The LAPD gets a phone call because over at Paramount Studios, which is only three and a half miles away from where uh, the murders happened. Security guards Isaac Macias and Greg Phillips, they recognized the suspect in the picture from that press conference. Yes. To clarify, that's kids cheering. That's kids cheering. They did their job. Yeah. It was the same man that they had just seen walking the perimeter of the studio and trying to enter the grounds through a gate. So as you know, these these big studios like Warner Brothers, Paramount, they're... They have a, a security gate all the way around. You can't just drive in here. They're going to check who you are. There's Don't all kinds of... Don't come to L.A. thinking you're going to pitch your shitty movie to Warner Brothers. Yeah, you can't get on the it's lot, not going to happen. They're not letting you in. Yeah, we so, already saw that movie. That's right. Don't do it. It's been done before. Yeah. They had seen this man. He was trying um, to get onto the lot. He was asking for a woman in particular. I'm not sure who. And he was asking for her phone number. And they're like, get out of here. You're crazy. And they kicked him out. So creepy. It's very creepy. He had with him... Uh, Kevin Graff had with him a can of mace and a Bible, which is crazy. Yeah. And Graff, he was acting strangely, talking to himself and making obscene gestures at passing cars. Um, And so the guards, they turned the surveillance cameras on him to keep watching him because they're like, this guy's crazy and we think it's that killer guy. Um, (laughs) I guess carrying mace and a Bible isn't crazy, but the combination of like, also, he just chopped off heads. Yes. Is pretty rough. Yes. So the guards, the reason that they were able to call this in so quickly is because in the guard booth, they had the news on the TV going, and that's when they saw the news conference. They were like, this they're, guy? They're like, this guy? He's right this there. Guy. Exactly, which is crazy. That's, it's another, like, movie moment. So many pieces of this are just Like, movie moments, movie. yeah. yeah. Not a movie that I would watch. I'd be too scared to watch this movie. Yeah, you would. The security guard, he said, I saw it, uh, the news, and I said, that looks a a lot like the guy that we've got on camera. And so they called it in, and uh, Kevin Graff was arrested without incident. He just, he went willingly. Um, he was wow. found sitting under a ficus tree on Melrose Avenue with that can of mace in the Bible. Um, and he was talking and saying bizarre things. He thought he was Jesus Christ. I mean, he was like just crazy. Jesus was also known for carrying mace. Yeah, definitely. And a Bible. And a Bible. <laughs> when he was detained, police asked Kevin Graff what had happened, if he had committed the murders. And he said he had no memory at all. Oh, And he said he was high on meth and ecstasy at the time. Well, you got to appreciate the honesty. I mean, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. 
Um, On the night of the killings, Graf said he had met a man somewhere on the streets of Hollywood who offered to bring him back to his place. The man gave him methamphetamine and ecstasy. And then the next thing he remembers after that was being surrounded by police in front of Paramount Studios. And that's it. Wow. So that's two days wiped from his memory, which is insane. Dude. I'm wondering, is that even possible? Is he lying? Like, can your memory be wiped for two days? Did he also get roofied? Like, does meth mess with your memory? Like, how is this working? Like, what, like, what is going on that this is even possible? Yeah. Right. So I wanted to look into it because I wanted to find out what meth does to the brain, what ecstasy does to the brain. And like, can a drug like that actually induce this kind of insane violence out of a person? Um, So a lot of what you hear about is, oh, this person was a paranoid schizophrenic. So, mm-hmm. so they committed murder. And then people think, oh, all paranoid schizophrenics are murderers. The fact is they're not. It's insanely rare. Yeah. People with mental disorders, that does not mean they're murderers. But the common misconception is that, oh, he was bipolar or whatever. Like, sure, he committed murder because he was a bipolar off his meds. No, that's no, not, that's not how not, it works, right? Yeah. So I wanted to look into that. He obviously has a background, right? He He may have been... Um, having like psychotic delusions that can happen sometimes. Um, He might have been, he wouldn't have been in a manic state to commit something like this. It's typically in a depressive state when violence occurs in bipolar people. Mm -hmm. Um, He could have been in a a depressive, unmedicated state. He's living on the street, so his life is already super stressful. Yeah. Right? He has this history that we don't know much about, his family, his upbringing, whatever. so there's, there's his history working against him. Um, that's at play, an untreated mental illness. Um, and then you add the ecstasy to it. And ecstasy typically, it like, it calms you, it relaxes you, you're very touchy-feely. That's, it's not often that you hear about somebody committing murder when they're high on ecstasy. Yeah. It's, that's not usually a drug that's associated with that. Like alcohol induces a ton of violence in people. We've seen that. Like, yeah. alcohol is very dangerous. Ecstasy Once is different. Once I was a little drunk and punched our, uh, your sister-in-law. See? My friend. There Carly. you go. But on accident, I oh, fell down the stairs. It doesn't and count. For some reason, I fell <laughs> fist out and, like, just got her right in the eye. She should have called the police, man. I would have backed her story. There was a there were a ton of witnesses. <laughs> it was a bad situation. I felt terrible. <laughs> so let's assume that the ecstasy wasn't laced with anything because that can happen, right? You're, you think you're taking E or ecstasy or mm. MDMA. If it's pure MDMA, um, it's supposed to like be calming and whatever. But if it has something else in there, then who's to say? Yeah. But speaking specifically to the meth, that is something that can induce violence in people. Again, it's not an excuse that like, oh, he just did meth. And that means, yeah, everybody who does meth decapitates people. No. Completely. There's a combination of things at play here. Yeah. Um, but meth, sometimes called ice, and its correlation to violence is still like being studied. Research is still being done. Um, but for those that already experience. I feel like it's a fairly new, well, I guess ecstasy also. It's the, a bigger the, problem than it has been in previous decades. Yeah. That's for sure. So it's a fairly new issue that's being looked at and yes. figured out. Um, and for those that already experience psychosis, which Kevin Graff may or may not have been experiencing psychosis. Again, manic depressives, that's not necessarily a symptom of that, but he could have been. He, Who's to say? I mean, this guy went nuts. He completely could have been, but by no means... Is this picture trying to paint a, like, hey, anybody? No. Yeah. No, there's a lot of elements at play here. Um, But for people that already experience psychosis, meth can induce a type of psychosis that 
that isn't experienced by other users of the drug. Gotcha. So if you're already having delusions and whatever, meth is going to mess with you in a crazier way than it will somebody else who doesn't mm-hmm. experience psychosis. Um, and this is even more true for people who are longtime users of the drug. So he had he said he had been on meth for about three months. It could have been longer. I don't know. Um, sometimes you can tell by looking at somebody how long they've been doing meth. You've heard of meth face. Sometimes. Right? But sometimes and not always. Not always. Not always. That's sometimes true. Sometimes people want to make... I feel like people make light of a real tragedy, which is people being on meth. Yeah. Uh, they want to make light about it and like, look at their face and look at right. this and that. First of all, it's a fucking tragedy not meant to be made fun of. Right. But second of all, it does not always occur. It's true. But definitely longtime users of meth, it will affect your appearance. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it, it's not, but it's like not always necessarily... So- yes like you hit this point and then again you can't look at somebody and say oh yeah they use meth or they've used it once or twice so looking at his mugshot he looked like just a regular guy so he could have been using it for any period of time i don't know how long he'd been using it but again that does affect the longer you use it the more it literally fries your brain right it messes it messes with your brain um meth actually interacts with the part of your brain that controls the, all the automatic functions. So like you don't have to tell yourself to breathe, right? Meth messes with that part of your brain. So you need meth like you need Fuck. air. That's why people get so addicted. That's Isn't that scary? Seriously, a it's fucking tragedy. That's why it's wow. as scary as it is. Yeah. Um, so, um, but meth stimulates the release of neurotransmitters, dopamine and noradrenaline. So it makes you feel drunk, you're excited, alert and euphoric. But hyper aroused, anxious, and irritable as well. So there's a lot going on. And for someone who goes into, some people call it like an ice rage, where you're like you're on meth and you like you act out violently. Um, it the noradrenaline increases your fight or flight reaction, um, which can make people respond really aggressively if they feel threatened in any way. Wow. Um, and they can a- experience heightened strength, stamina, and confidence. And so other people will feel really threatened by them. So the fact is this can be a very dangerous drug. But it doesn't mean that if you do it, you're going to go out and decapitate people. Totally. But, you know, it definitely matters that he was doing meth. But I hate when people say, oh, he was on meth, so he killed somebody. That's not that's not how it works. How it works at all. Oh, he was bipolar, so So he he killed somebody. No, also completely not how it works. I still don't feel like I have a full answer or full understanding of this. Um, But what we do know is that these killings were absolutely 100% random, which is terrifying. That's completely terrifying. Yes. And we talked a few weeks ago about how rare it is that you would be just randomly killed. Insanely rare. But uh, stuff like this is completely terrifying. It is. <laughs> I imagine, this is how I picture it. I don't know if this is true. I imagine that crazy Kevin Graff in his like rage or fit that he was in, this is at five in the morning, which is crazy, I imagine he went door to door and was jiggling doorknobs and found an open door. That's how I picture, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he found an open door. He killed Robert Lee's and then he hopped the fence and that neighbor, their door happened to also be open. Yeah. Um, which again is terrifying. Mm-hmm. You would think maybe, oh, it's some kind of a serial killer on the loose who's doing it. But no, I mean, no. really just totally random. And that's what makes this really bizarre. Um, and so Kevin Graff, he was arrested and taken to Twin Towers Correctional Facility. That's in downtown L.A., Downton. Downton, L.A. (laughs) And he was held without bail. He was interviewed by a reporter shortly after his arrest, and this is what he said. 
He said, you see, man, I'm such a good person. I'm the guy who opens the door for old ladies. I wanted to be a positive role model for children. If I really did this, man, I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I know saying sorry isn't enough. Jesus. It isn't going to do nothing. But I'm no criminal, dude. I'm really a good kid. I don't know how this all happened. Which is insane to me. Heartbreaking. I just can't even like, I I don't want to feel bad for this guy, but I'm just like, he really doesn't remember and he really feels so bad about it. I mean, um, wow. So that girlfriend of Bob Lee's, um, the one who found his headless body, she said, she said, the apology is meaningless to me. He killed a man who was one of the most ethical and brilliant men I've ever met in my life. He was full of wit and humor, a great human being who acted out of love and peace that this suspect now talks about. So Graf, he had talked about how he was trying to find peace and he was trying to find this kind of like religious spiritual. That's why he was carrying the Bible. He thought he was God, but he was also crazy in that process. Yeah. Um, So Graf, he said that he was often ridiculed because he was a slow learner and that he suffered verbal and physical abuse at the hands of his family when he was young. He also said, God wants us to live in unity and love, but there's no love in this world. No one smiles at you on the street. When I was homeless and out there asking for a dollar, people would look at you like an animal. So, I mean, it's just a bummer. Um, the reporter who did this interview, he noted that Kevin Graff, he looked uh, really unkempt and unshaven when he was in prison, and he was occasionally just weeping, just sobbing like while he was yes. talking. His arms and hands had deep scab wounds, and he didn't remember if those wounds were from something, the struggle with the police, or if it was something having to do with if his victims had done that to him when he committed the killings. He didn't know. Wow. He's got injuries on his body that he doesn't know about, which is just uh, it's so scary, too. I mean, imagine, I'm not saying this guy's normal and we can compare ourselves, but just imagine waking up and they're like, oh, you decapitated somebody and like dismembered another person and like mutilated their bodies. Like, it's got to be horrifying to, if this is true that he doesn't remember. Um, And Kevin Graff, he said the year leading up to the murders, he'd been on a spiritual journey, like I said, but Mm -hmm. the killings, they set him off his path, obviously. He said... I wanted to find my place on earth and I found out I wanted to be a preacher and to talk to God. Basically, I was done with my journey. Now, I don't know what happened. So he thought he was going to be this spiritual whatever. And now he's like, well, I guess I messed that up. Uh, So when his family was trying to get him treatment and get him off the street, he always refused them because he said that they were interfering with his positive energy. And family members said they had trouble getting authorities to take them seriously Kevin said, I just wanted them to leave me alone. I was a lot of positive energy, but people would try to pull that positive energy from you. The more happy you are as a person, the more people want to take that from you. This earth is hell. I'm just an innocent lamb. It's up to God. He's the only one who can judge. But really, I wish I could take what happened all back because I don't understand this. Just Jesus. (laughs) like I mean, it's really insane. Wow. I mean, I can't, I just have no words for like how shocking and bizarre this whole thing is, right? Yeah. Um, and in February of 2008, so it took several years before the, the real trial went down. Graf, he finally got his day in court. He pleaded guilty on February 26th of 2008 as per terms of a plea deal um, in, in, so that he wouldn't uh, receive the death penalty. Um, he said in court, I don't really remember. I don't understand. I don't say I have a mental illness, but apparently I am because who in their right mind could do something like this? It's just senseless acts for no reason. Absolutely makes no sense. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, 
And during the trial, Kevin's father blurted out, choking back tears, I love you, Kevin, and I'm proud of you, and we are sorry. And then Kevin responded, I love you, too. I mean, it's just Jeez. like, it's wow. really heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, clinical psychologist Barbara Court Counter said at trial that um, uh, Kevin was now medicated. And under medication and being treated, uh, Kevin Graff, he, quote, works to atone for his acts by devoting himself to a life of containment, true spir- spirituality and knowledge. So now, you know, he's off the meth. He's medicated for his mental illness and he's in prison. Mm-hmm. Um and he's apparently like an upstanding, you know, guy who wants to atone for what the crimes that he committed. Yeah. Um, and you, yeah. Sorry, did I? I may miss this already. Yeah. What's his sentence? How long will he be there? Um, I'll tell you. Okay, cool. So Never he mind he sorry. pleaded. Yeah, uh, he pleaded guilty to two counts of first degree murder with special circumstances, along with eight other charges, including torture, mayhem, burglary, and sexual penetration with a foreign object. Which wow. is awful. And then mayhem. Jeez. Are you one I, I was wondering what mayhem is, right? Have you uh, heard of this as a crime? No. Yeah. Mayhem is a crime. It's actually really rare. Um, I live my life in <laughs> chaos, so I assume that that's the same thing. It's absolutely not. Cool. Okay. So, <laughs> Yikes. It's then. really it's really rare that this crime is is um prosecuted but in california it's qualified as um depriving a person um, of a member of his or her body such as a limb or disabling disfiguring or rendering useless a member of his or her body cutting or disabling his or her tongue putting out his or her eye slitting his or her nose ear or lip um and the crime lip Uh uh-huh okay really specific interesting right (laughs) the crime of aggravated mayhem is basically intentionally causing someone a permanent disability or disfigurement or depriving him or her of a limb organ or member so the lorena bobbitt case where she cut off her husband's penis do you remember this oh yeah i'm like vaguely from that that's mayhem so they should rename it because (laughs) that makes me think that it was just like and loud music was playing. Right. <laughs> right. You know? Well, it's like those uh, insurance commercials uh, where that guy is, he's made, oh, yeah, he represents mayhem. mayhem. Yeah. yeah. That's those not, are funny. Yeah. That's not the kind of mayhem that <laughs> they're talking about. No. They're talking but I about like, like those commercials. You torture somebody, cut off their arm on purpose just to, like, that's mayhem. That's like, not that's, funny. No. But what is funny. funny is to think about them redoing those commercials. Oh, to be like real <laughs> mayhem. Oh, my God. Not good. No. And honestly, Probably not a good selling point. No, definitely not. So after he pleaded guilty to all of that, he got two life sentences without the possibility of parole. So he's going to live out the rest of his days in prison. And um, here's one final interesting note. I read in the LA Times, you know, they had reporters in the courtroom. And this reporter witnessed something kind of weird. After the verdict was handed down, they took Kevin Graff away. And Kevin's mother approached Dr. Morley Engelson's widow, Valerie, And she tried to hug this woman and say, I'm so sorry. And then the woman just asked, why did he do it? And Kevin's mom had no response, which is just crazy. That's, I, it's one of the saddest things I can imagine. It's just all around insane. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. And just kind of inexplicable because, yeah, okay, so he had mental illness and he was on drugs, but still, I, I still don't get it. Like, really, that's, I mean, it's it's still very hard to process this one. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so this one's pretty messed up, pretty heinous. Kim, what are your final thoughts on this one? I have some pretty serious final thoughts, actually. Go. Um, I want to first say what happened to these two, honestly, I'll use the term gentlemen. I'm yes. not afraid to. With yeah. Them. 
Uh, they sound like actual, like just really great guys mm-hmm. um, who did not deserve what happened to them. It's a complete tragedy. Inarguably, y- you can't. You can't argue with the fact that it's a tragedy. But when I, the third tragedy that I want to talk about is Kevin. Because the way that our system is set up mm-hmm. is we take uh, young people like Kevin who have a psychotic break in their mid-20s is mm-hmm. usually when it happens. Um, and we're just not prepared for that. You would think we would be <laughs> yeah. like, in this country. We should have, we want to, we've got a million pills for every <laughs> single thing that could happen. All the pills. I stubbed my toe today and then saw a commercial. For <laughs> Did you stub your toe? Yeah. The side effect? <laughs> stubbed toes. <laughs> kind of a bummer, but I still took it. Um, you know, we... We want to easily diagnose mm-hmm. um, these these people with this mental illness, and we want to prescribe a million pills. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're very, very helpful, but then they're we're not prepared for actually giving them a, a coping mechanism. Yeah, you need to have real treatment. You don't just pop a pill. You talk to people. Yeah. And you're monitored. by the way, popping a pill is not always possible. Right. So you have a, mm-hmm. Kevin is a great example of what I think is probably. Not super common, but I think it happens, which is that um, he, his parents wanted to institutionalize him. Mm -hmm. Uh, He wasn't a threat to them Mm -hmm. or to himself. So he was let go, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But then he also couldn't assimilate himself into society. So he had trouble maybe holding whatever circumstances led him to being um, pretty destitute and living on the street or hopping, you know, friend's house to friend's house. Mm -hmm. What do you, how are you going to get your medicine, the medicine right. that you need? Right. You can't. Right. Because it's expensive and mm-hmm. you have to have insurance for it. Mm-hmm. So then now he's off his meds and he's living on the street and somebody offers him drugs mm-hmm. and we just allow this to happen over and over and over again. Yeah. And every single part of it, and we brought this up a couple times this, this episode, which is that having um, a manic break or a manic episode or a depressive episode, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that you're a murderer. But right. society tells you that you are. Yeah. Being on a drug like meth or being on Vicodin or being mm-hmm. on these pills doesn't mean that you're going to be a murderer. Mm-hmm. But society tells you that you are. Mm-hmm. It's and, and, and because they say, oh, you're having a manic break, you're probably a murderer. Yeah. And you're just kind of – you just – I think as a country, we just kind of write these these people off. When you're living on the street, yeah, you're fine. Just the oversimplification of actually very mm-hmm. complex And issues. I think it, it comes from a real place. We mm-hmm. want to have a reason for this. Yeah, exactly. These murders happened, and they were so fucking tragic mm-hmm. and genuinely terrifying. Yes. We want to have a reason for it. Right. Oh, he's manic. Yeah. He's having a, a depressive episode or a manic episode. Right. Or he's on meth. Or he's on this. Or you left your door unlocked. Right. that's not why this happened it's a combination of a million different things and i think that Mm -hmm. we as a society needs need to just as you would look at this murder and say well okay in the future i'll lock my door you have to look at that look at every single piece of this really complicated puzzle and Mm -hmm. say he was having a depressive uh break or a manic Mm -hmm. break so we're gonna try and take care of that right we're gonna take care of our citizens who are having some serious and uh, treatable mm-hmm. mental issues. Right. We're going to take care of that. I feel like the the tragedy in this story is at 100% inarguably the guys that were killed. But yeah. it's also 
Kevin. Mm-hmm. And it's a, I think it's too common of a story, uh, a tragic story of somebody who was just written off by society who 100% shouldn't have. Yeah, like the, um, do you remember the guy, the, uh, like the cannibal zombie killer in Florida? Yeah. He bit off the face of a homeless man. Bath salts? Bath salts. Oh, okay. Bath salts. That's all no, I he, he was not using bath salts. Hold on. Not Seriously? at all. Yes, there were no drugs in his system except marijuana, but marijuana also doesn't really particularly induce violence. No. No bath salts. But again, the reason people think that is because just like what you said, people want that oversimplification, the, oh, he did it because bath salts. Got it. Nobody mm. do bath salts. Done deal. Yeah. That's not what happened at all. And in fact, they're still having a hard time explaining what exactly happened there. And you can understand the the need to oversimplify simplify we need to have answers i'm gonna leave this podcast and then i'm gonna go home and be scared for about a week (laughs) yeah Um, i told you this one's messed up yeah yeah, yeah. so so you do want answers and that's totally understandable but don't jump to a conclusion no take your time with those answers that you're Mm -hmm. seeking out and also like me as a common idiot yeah i'm probably gonna try and oversimplify this yeah but the people that can make a difference Mm -hmm. are law enforcement yeah should not oversimplify it Mm mm-hmm because they, they, it doesn't, what happened is really sad and really tragic and yeah. completely preventable in a, a couple different ways. Right. Like there are, are multiple steps where this guy could have gotten the help that he needed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, those are good final thoughts, Kim. And ER is streaming. It's Hulu.com. H-U-L-U.com. <laughs> oh, my lordy. You can find us at KimKnowsNothing.com. Go to the internet. Yeah. And what are the other, how how else you find us? Instagram? Tell um, me. Yeah. Instagram. Yep. Twitter. Yep. Facebook. Yep. And dot com. Yes. Um, and we'll have a ton of links. So now that we're going every other week with yes. episodes, it does not mean that we'll go every other week um, on Facebook and, and Twitter and having links and everything. Right. We'll, we'll still have a bunch of stuff. So don't be afraid to click that follow button. And leave us a review. Just tap that number of stars in your podcast app. Mm-hmm. We love you. Thanks for listening. Thank you. <laughs> Signing off. Okay, bye. Bye.